Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. Hey, old savages, Christopher Savage Bull Landauer here with Savage Mommy. And our special guest for today, Brett Wying, our partner in crime on a new and upcoming project. Say hi to everybody, Brett. Hello. Today is October 1st, and we've officially been doing this podcasting thing for eight full months now. And we've got some brags and some numbers to kind of just mark the occasion. Can you hear us patting ourselves on the back yeah. as we speak? We're still here. Uh, we've come out with 13 episodes. We've got 156 of you, uh, Savages, follow us on the G Plus page. 101 of you follow us on the Facebook group. We've got 62 followers on Twitter. Only 11 ratings on iTunes. Come on, guys, give us some good ratings on iTunes. This is the big one. All right, so exciting. We have, get ready for this, $7.42 on our drive through RPG affiliate. That's just awesome. We are rolling in the shill box for our drive through RPG. Uh, and the coolest number of all is we have over 14,500 episode downloads. So we would definitely want to thank you guys for listening to us. So let me ask you, Chris, how does how do you come about that number? Uh, so that, that's a huge number. Yeah, it's actually that the, the, you can kind of calculate it a couple different ways. Um, uh, we use Blueberry. Uh, it's a podcasting uh, service that it kind of integrates with WordPress. And that's the number Blueberry spits out. The actual... Download numbers from our web host are even bigger than that. So nice. Um, I think the web host counts every time someone like stops and starts. You might get a, a new. It's kind of hard to tell what how they figured out, but the uh, one of these days I'll go back through and figure out how many gigabytes we've actually broadcast so far. It's probably a huge number. Um, but yeah, so Blueberry, the conservative Blueberry statistics are over fourteen thousand five hundred. So downloads. thirteen episodes in eight months. We promised an episode a month. So we're ahead of schedule. So we're ahead of schedule, even though summer kind of screwed with us a little bit and we didn't put out much in August. But we were recording a bunch. Like but the, we did uh, record a lot of things. We got a lot of actual plays that we need to get put out. We've got Tacticon. We've got, uh, we finally got my Gen Con stuff out. We had a whole cool, awesome um, GMs for GM event <laughs> that we recorded. <laughs> Um, I didn't. You don't really. Go but ahead, it was, bring it up. It was four hours of silence that we ended up recording. So. Yeah, because I screwed up and with the recorder and thought that I was doing it right, and uh, all the recording was coming out of a, an external microphone it instead of the microphones on the recorder, and uh, yeah. there was no external microphone. So you can think of us not putting out an episode last month as you listening to our four hours of GM advice that was just blank. Right. It was a Zen. It was GM Zen advice. Yes, yes. Uh, take that in through osmosis. Uh, it was great GMing advice. It was really, you know, well done. A good hour of conversation that's out in the ether now somewhere because I couldn't figure out how to use the damn recorder. We plan on doing that again, though. So we will we will record our GM for GM how to run games panels in the future for you guys because we had a lot of good information at that panel. And thanks to the Arnolds, one of our Rocky Mountain Savage uh, families for hosting that uh, and, and all the GMs who showed up for it. Hopefully they're gonna do, we're going to do that again and we'll get that recorded 
Um, and plus, I think you know, some of our local luminaries like Ross and Sean like to do that at, at conventions. So one of these days, we'll get the, that panel recorded for you guys, and we'll bring that panel. But you know, right now, we've got three Germans in one room, Landauer, Fox, and Wang. And so besides invading Poland, we've been working on an awesome project, a passion project for Brett and Fox. And so we're going to tell you a little bit about it today. So first, let's get to know Brett since he's the new guy. Tell us about yourself, Brett. How did you get into gaming? Well, um, I've been gaming for a long time, probably since I was about 12 or 13. Um, started out D&D and um, ran our D&D club at the high school and just kind of been going ever since. But yeah, how did you find Savage Worlds? Well, it was through Chris Fox, and um, we did a, a Deadlands game. Uh, we had our regular group, and we were doing D&D, and I think he brought in uh, the Savage Worlds and the Deadlands, and uh, I loved the, the cowboy theme to it, and I loved the fact that Savage Worlds was adaptable to most anything. So you guys have been working on this project for a while now, and uh, I've just been brought on board recently to help you know, polish a few things, um, but it's definitely your guys' baby. So why don't you tell us um, about this wonderful setting you guys have been working on? Well, it's a, it's a pirate setting, and I mean... Uh, who doesn't love being an outlaw and a good guy all at the same time, an outlaw and a, a hero. And it, it's, it's high adventure, high seas, and this, this adds elements of um, magic to it and adventure and... Monsters. Monsters and every, everything you could think of there with it. So the, the, the swashbuckling of... Uh, think of the older movies with Errol Flynn and... You know, the Pirates of the Caribbean, of course. But with a, a, a slight fantasy flair. We're not going we're not going full fantasy at all, but there's some aspects of it in there. So it's kind of like you guys are shooting between reining back the fantasy from, say, 50 Fathoms, but definitely adding more than Pirates of the Spanish Main. Yeah. 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 I, so, I, I think you could look at it as, wouldn't you like look at it as kind of, a nice in between. Yeah, yeah, those two definitely, and and it's it's a place you can go a lot of places with your your game. You know, if 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 you want to be heavier on the realism, that's there for you. And if you want to be heavier on the the monsters or the fantasy, that's there for you. Or if you want, you know, something in between, you know, it, it it's very adaptable to all of that. How have you guys found the publication process and the creation process so far? A lot more than I was expecting. It's <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. Long and a lot more. Uh, I'm not going to say a lot more difficult, but it's a lot of work. It's. I don't know if you want to talk about this, Brett, but it, this the, the genesis of this was from a three-part adventure that Brett wrote, and I ran at uh, three successive conventions here in Denver. I ran. I think I started at, at Genghis and I ran a Genghis Tacticon in Genghis, and we ran it as a three-parter. So our plan was we're going to throw this together, and we wanted to get the adventure published. Well, it kind of sprang from getting the adventure published to uh, the publisher that we're working with said, I think this, is, this has got enough meat on it to become a setting, and then do the adventure, but make it a setting. And Brett and I, having never done this before, said, okay, sure, yeah. We'll do it. Let's make a setting. And this is something you guys, you ran years ago. I mean, it's you've been, you've been running. Uh, yeah, it's been a couple years ago that I ran the adventure. Years ago, and, and I would say it didn't start as a three-part adventure. It started as a one. <laughs> oh, I guess it did start oh, as a one-part. Oh, it was just a one adventure, adventure but uh, Chris got 
so many good reviews about it at the uh, conventions that he insisted that I, I write a second, and that turned into a third, and <laughs> kind of just grew from there. So kind of just kind of just exploded from there. So we've we've already got we've got a publisher that we're working with, which is something completely new to me. Of course, I've never you know I've never done this where. We're trying to, to work with artists now. I mean, we're to the point now where we think we, we've got a, a good base of the book that we're looking how artwork and things like that. And so we've got uh, things like that coming online. We've got plans for most likely a Kickstarter. Um, no dates. Uh, we want to give no dates on anything because we don't want to set a, set it ourselves up for, for somebody saying, hey, you said this was going to go live January 30th. And here it is March and we're just now going live. So we don't want to set dates on anything. Well, that's, that's definitely one of the lessons is just, you know, how you think a, re- a deadline is reasonable and you realize just how much more time you actually need for, you know, to get things paused and get things done. So, yeah, I definitely appreciate why, you know, you, projects are in the genesis for years or months and people, you know, they have information. You, you're, you're like, oh, you're, they're giving us hints and stuff like that. Like, like Pinnacle themselves, they didn't do a, um, another report at Gen Con this year. They didn't do a, you know, the seminar because right. they announced everything that's going to come up this year already last year. And that's so. what they're working on. Yeah. And basically, yeah. They, <laughs> we're working on working hard to give you content. And, that's yeah. what Jody said. Jody specifically said, we're not, we're not doing a Pinnacle seminar because what we already told you is what we're working on. We don't really have a lot of new things that we're working on. So um, for us, you know, this is a work in progress. It's been fun. Uh, it's been a lot of work. Not to scare people away, it's, it's to me it's it's not easy, but it's it's well worth it to do. I mean, if you've got an idea out there, you know, run with it. Get a group of people together. I think it's it's great to work with a group of people because you can springboard ideas off of each other. You know, you could they come up with things that you would never have thought of, um, and it, by being just one person. I, and I know a lot of creators probably do that. They may create individually. But they've got a group of people that they're going to, they're springboarding ideas off of and things like that. So uh, give it a shot. Yeah, I think some of it is knowing how to, to give up a little control of your idea, too, and, and, and let it flow on its own. And that, that's where you can end up with, you know, something really good. And one thing you guys are definitely bringing to the table, because, I mean, there, there are two pirate settings already for Savage Worlds. Um, but I think this one brings something really unique. Besides just where in the, the greater pirate lexicon you guys have chosen to set this, you also bring some really interesting Savage Worlds toolboxes to the table. How do we talk about that? Like the, the new rules that you guys have brought to the table, and I think that the first and, and most interesting one is how you guys are treating ships in the setting. Well, we have a, a, a new ship-to-ship combat rule. Um, in the, when I was looking at Savage Worlds and, and designing this, uh, you, you could play this on the, the, the large-scale combats, the mass combats, um, or at a smaller level. There wasn't there wasn't really anything set up for that. Ships of the day had two hundred, some of them two hundred cannons or forty or fifty cannons. You can't really be role-playing that out. What I designed the ship-to-ship combat for was a good role-playing group, so that that you're still having realism of. The actual ship-to-ship combat, but it's it's easier for a GM to ro- run and understand, and it's it's a lot more fun for the the players to be completely involved in in 
the ship and the tactics of the ship and uh, how to en- engage with other people. It is definitely resolvable in tens of minutes, not half an hours or hours. You definitely get to keep that Fast Furious fun. It's definitely more participatory than perhaps. That's what I was going to say. The key is it keeps the players involved because everybody, most rounds. I, I'm trying to remember if we if we had something that might stop Sony, but I think a big thing on this is, and we talked about this recently in another show that I'm on, is that you don't want to have times where players don't get to participate. And the current chase rules kind of have that a little bit where you can, some people may not be able to participate. And I think this, the way this is work, going to work out, that's not going to be an issue. Everybody's going to be able to do something every round. Yeah, and in the macro you guys also have, it also just incorporates unique situations for ship-to-ship higher combat that just doesn't apply to chases or to detailed combat. I mean, you know, elements of... You know, losing ships or chasing ships or finding ships at the horizon, and, and when when you, when you when can you get close enough to actually bring your guns to bear, and then how do you go from horizon to gun range to boarding range, and then when do you break into you know actual moving miniatures around on table? So I think that's kind of one of the ships deserve that attention. It deserves its own system because it's unique enough. And I, I think too that it also once once boarding begins, I think. Uh, when, when I've run games in the past, it, it gets a little difficult to, you know, how many enemies do I put out there? Why am I putting, you know, uh, they don't really have five people, you know, sailing a ship. They've got, you know, 50, 200, or, you know, how, how many ever sailing this ship. So it's hard to represent that. So this adds some rules in there to, to help the GM as well to... Um, Understand how many enemies to put out and, and why you're putting out what you are. And then the, the next kind of cool invention you guys did is instead of treating ships just as vehicles, you guys have built this kind of unique ships as characters or character-like. Edges, hindrances, yeah, yeah. things for ships. And advancement. So Yeah. So, so the ship itself can become, I mean, it's not a character itself, but you become, uh, you know, like the Enterprise of Star Trek or... You know, it becomes part of your group. You know, people really have an attachment with uh, their ship. And and pirates of the day, I mean, you talk about uh, Blackbeard's, you know, Queen Anne's Revenge. It's, you know, synonymous with, with him. So, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to have in there was something that this was your group's ship. You know, and it might cause you to sit back and... and look at, okay, do I really want to get into combat with Ship X because my ship is going to get damaged and this is my home and this is this is part of my group. And so, you know, it might lead to some, some interesting role-playing and interesting situations coming into play during the game that you wouldn't have normally. Yeah, there's some interesting motivations there because I think you know, if you're playing Savage Worlds fast and loose with equipment, a lot of times it's very easy to run through objects and run through equipment and not consider them being important. Because you know, if you're not tracking bullets, for instance, or you're not tracking food or rations or those kind of things. Um, but you know, in a pirate game, it very well might be a, a particular point of drama that the, the game master or the Grand Admiral or whatever you will come up with. Yeah, we're coming yeah. up. We're trying to come up with a, with a name for our, our GM. You got any ideas, send them in. <laughs> and um, but you know, where you might want to have where you you remove resources from players where they're running out of food and that can be measured and that can be a dramatic moment or 
if you sink your ship, you're floating out in the middle of the ocean. I mean, these are, you know, it, it was the moonshot of the day. I mean, you, your vessel was your life. And if you were far from land and even hundreds of yards from land and, you know, if you, the, your life depended on that ship surviving. So I, I think creating a character, a ship as a character, not only allows for advancement and edge and hindrances and kind of you know, mechanics around the ship, it also kind of creates this idea of, yeah, it's a living kind of breathing thing. There's there's some mythos, some you know ethos even around around your ship that I think is kind of cool. So you know, bravo on that, guys. And uh, the last one I think we'll, we'll we'll just touch on is as well in the swashbuckling action sense. Um, that's different than a chase, and it's different than a dramatic task. You guys have kind of merged the two and then added some more flavor into it with a kind of uh, yeah, it's more of a chaotic situation. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can go on, so it's kind of it's kind of a, a mashup of a chase and a dramatic task. So yeah, cinematic elements of both. Yeah, make it more cinematic than either one of those. I mean, you you can make either one of those cinematic. It's all in your narration. It's all in how you put that to your players. This just kind of takes both of those and puts them into one unified system. Yeah, it's what how you handle, you know, it, somebody not particularly chasing you, but you have a world around you that is that is falling apart, you know, a, a volcano exploding or, you know, a, a city under siege, and and you're trying to do something or get somewhere during this this chaos that's going on, and so it, it's kind of a meshing of the two of them, uh, and. To, to make something that that ends up with a you know a lot of adventure that that the players can have a, a lot of fun with uh, each round and I, I know you didn't plan on talking about this but I, I think we should be really proud of some of the the edges the new edges and stuff uh, two I really like I definitely like the Flynn maneuver which is awesome which is you know a, a, an ode to uh, old Errol you know swinging from from deck to deck and then a cool one we've really kind of put a lot of crunch behind is one called the Jonah. And we'll just leave it at that. We won't tell you what it is. But the, the Jonah is kind of an interesting hindrance. Um, yeah, it's going to do something that I don't know I've seen in Savage Worlds before. It's like plot and crunch in one. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be one of those where you're going you're gonna to want to take that, but it's going to give you a really good role-playing experience if you role-play that hindrance to its fullest extent. Yeah, it's definitely one where you, you, you definitely work with your game master, your grand admiral, your capitan, yeah. with, with with that one because that, that that might even be a good one to start into a campaign with having having one character be the Jonah and just see how that plays out. Yeah, so, so that, it's pretty pretty exciting stuff. Again, uh, you know, it's it's a work in progress. It's coming along. I already said no dates, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get it out there. Coming soon. Yes. Yeah, actually, to, to whet your appetite for exclusive for SavageCast listeners on our website, savagecast.com, on the post for this episode, we will include an excellent piece of art by the masterful Rick Hershey uh, that is hot off of the presses um, to us. We'll, so we'll give you a little, a little taste of what might be coming uh, in our setting. 
Right, so yeah. savagecast.com. Yeah, check it out. It's cool. So with that, uh, we've told you enough about what we're doing. Um, we checked in with you guys. Uh, a bunch of you sent us uh, emails over the last few months. So we figured we'd uh, get back to you and, and answer your questions. So Yeah, and again, we, we, we love the questions. Keep them coming. Keep the emails coming. G+, Facebook questions. Uh, we'll kind of just keep going through those, and, and every so often we'll run through and answer them for you. So we'll yeah, give so you uh, all the pertinence at the end of the show. Here's the, the first question for our Talk Nerdy to Me segment. Uh, Sean Masters writes in, Hey, Chris Fox, a question for the Savage Cast. How do you run a higher-level realm management game in Savage Worlds? I'm asking because I'm considering a Savage Rifts game with the characters overseeing the politics and growth of a castle refuge and the Tomorrow Legion. We actually, they, this actually got posted to our G Plus group, and we've got some really good answers from um, you guys. So we'll share some of those with you. So you want to read Victor's? Yeah, so Victor uh, Diaz, uh, he said, I was thinking to let the heroes have a pool of resources similar to PowerPoints that allow them to burn slash buy a single use of a said resource from a list. For example, one uh, PC is a Cyber Knight. Uh, he has a short list of resources, one of which allows him to call on other mercs or knights in the area for support uh, and or during the defense of a castle. Another is to summon a squire or trainee. I also thought about using the burn mechanic in a similar way. Once the PP are depleted, characters uh, the character has used all of his influence and are relieved of command. Not sure how to recharge it. Still a work in progress. Hope you get the idea. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty decent for you know, risk specific. Um, Eli Kurtz comes in with a pretty good answer as well. He says, uh, "I've been working on a, a settlement mechanic that treats settlements as characters." Funny. I mean, it's kind of very similar to our ships as characters idea, um, and a, a, another one of your emails, kind of a similar idea floating around the the savage sphere. Uh, Eli continues, the traits, skills, and edges are modified, but the basic structure is the same. Settlements grow as they advance through the ranks, eventually getting a domain-level play at Heroic and Legendary. To keep it fast, furious, and fun at the table and during prep, I just adapt character rules to describe settlements instead of people. So that's another excellent kind of thing on how um, in-game you kind of you can create this, whether you're doing realm management as a realm or as a... A conglomerate or group you belong to um, start statting it up as a character, and then stat the the other realms or other groups or factions as characters as well. And uh, and you can you know simulate battle between them. You can do combat between them if that's social combat or physical combat. Um, and you know that fast Savage Worlds does combat quickly, so I think that can allow you. Um, some interesting mechanics um, there. And then the last, you guys blast us with a f three really good suggestions, and I'll have Fox read these. These are kind of what we thought of um, when we answered the question. Yeah, so uh, three, three different folks came up with three different uh, Savage settings to go to to mine ideas. So Eric Lamoureux came up with uh, Hellfrost. Uh, Michael Robbins said go to Beast and Barbarians. And then Josh Eves said go to Broken Earth. And I can tell you Broken Earth... Uh, is probably very similar to what Eli was talking about because Broken Earth has a complete settlement mechanic. It's part of the game itself. So uh, if I had to say one of those three uh, to be my first choice of settings to go to, uh, go check out Broken Earth. That is Sneak Attack Press, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, and you can get it on RPG Now. Uh, 
We'll throw a link up. Yeah, we'll throw a link up there, and you can add to our $7.42 by clicking on our affiliate link and going to RPG Now and getting yourself a copy of Broken Earth. Shill bucks. Shill bucks. Commercial over. The uh, In Visa Barbarians, um, Michael mentions that the, they have um, factions. So there's one of the factions is the Tattered Banners, and the other one is the um, Tricarnia. And those both have rules on how to run organizations within domains. And, yeah, uh, so you could, I mean, you could even make your, your settlement that way. It's each, each settlement is a various faction. Yeah, yeah. Hellfrost does resource sounds management. Sounds like a cool idea. And then, of course, last but not least, um, Shintar. Shintar has what's called faction play, um, and you can definitely rip, rip uh, from those. Um, so, hopefully, uh, Sean, that answers your question. And for anybody else out there interested, and it kind of kind of works into uh, our next email. Yeah, it's kind kind of kind of uh, very very similar. This is from Charles Gerard. Uh, says, uh, really enjoying the podcast. So I'm working on a primitive mythology setting where the players are super heroic protectors of their home village. I'm toying with the idea of having a separate custom character sheet for the village itself as sort of an abstract NPC. The players would be able to upgrade and modify the village during traditional RPG campaign play, adding defensive walls to uh, tsunami watchtowers, temples, etc. And then occasionally the village would be tested in battle as a minigame against natural disasters or invaders. Uh, the goal is to tie the PCs very closely to the village and in-game rewards and discoveries benefit the village directly. Uh, what do you think of the idea? Could it work? Does it seem playable and fast, furious, and fun? Is it the wrong system to introduce such a thing? How else would you handle it with existing Savage Rules mechanics? I think it's a great idea. It's very, very interesting. It would work easy in Savage Worlds. The settlement rules from Broken Earth, you could go and mine those. I think it'd be very playable. Um, I love the idea of upgrading it via various things you do in the campaign. You know, so you have a whole adventure with your players to go out to X location and get Y, and that is something that you're going to be able to bring back to your village to expand it. Uh, maybe it's it's uh, old an old map of, a, of an ancient keep, and you're searching for this map of this ancient keep. You bring that back to the village, you give it to the, the village masons, and they start building the walls based off of this ancient map that you as the player characters have gone out and retrieved. Oh yeah. And then and that's your village upgrade. Yeah, if you go do diplomacy with other nations around you, yeah. you can add charisma bonuses. Um, you know, the the more the players that you have in your group or that you recruit can be skills that you have in that village that can come to bear. You know, so you know, if your character is you know a mason that you you'd have the building skill or you know, if you are the cleric, you'd have a healing skill in your village when that character's there. Or if you recruit outside forces to come in and, you know, live in your, your town, you can definitely upgrade that. Um, I think it works. I, 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 you know, obviously, you know, Brett and Fox have put that mechanic into um, our pirate setting as ships. Um, we heard about, um, you know, a realm campaign using either resource rules or realms as characters. Um, the yeah, the village as a character. I think the. I mean, obviously there need to be a little bit of tweaking because you know. Sure. Yeah. Villages don't have pace, <laughs> but the uh, you might you might use pace as a a caravan you know number on how well, you know how how you how fast you can trade and how long it takes you to get. And a lot of that look, you could you could look at the mass battle rules 
because so you have better walls now. So now maybe your village, when this invaders show up, because you've upgraded the walls, you're a plus two to whatever rolls you're making for the village. I don't know if I'm if that's if that makes much sense because if the village is an NPC, you're maybe making some sort of a role for the village. I don't know. You know, just look at those mass battle rules and see what you can extra- extrapolate out of those for bonuses and negatives to the village. Oh yeah, well, I mean, and, and now if you if you do have more enforcements, you'd add you'd add armor to your village. You know, you'd raise the toughness, that kind of stuff. You know, if you had you know trained mercenaries or you know, an endemic army army, you'd raise your fighting skill, and that would also you know increase your derived stats from fighting. Um, if you incorporated more, you know, either a government or a church or charismatic leaders, you could raise your spirit and, you know, your, your derived stats from that would go up. So, you know, if you had, if you, if you think of like, um, Balian defending Jerusalem and the, was it second crusade, um, you know, the, the city is making a spirit check against Saladin's army on the outside. And then, you know, the walls crumble. They, they beat your toughness. They've removed your armor. And then you have to make this, this kind of this, this diplomacy check. As, not only as the character, but also as the city on, you know, versus the army. And, and obviously they aced that because they, they got, you know, led safely to, to back to Christian land. So, yeah, you, I think you could definitely create a, a kind of... Um, it's very interesting. It's got, it's got some cool things you could do with it. Yeah, and, and for you guys, for our listeners, um, Charles, uh, you can definitely check him out on the Miskatonic University podcast where he uh, posts as Keeper Chad. And and on that, I mean, hey, like, if you, Savage Worlds, I think, is a great horror setting. I love horror games in Savage Worlds. Um, and Charles definitely mentions that he's come from kind of the old um, uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, background, but that you know, Savage Worlds has Realms Cthulhu and Octon Cthulhu, and one of the the interesting things you could also add, you could steal from Deadlands, um, is kind of the fear level uh, as a mechanic. Oh yeah, yeah. You, know, and you just, make you make certain upgrades, and your 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 village becomes better known, and people don't want to sack it because it's got a fear level. Yeah, that's interesting. Can can I add too that um, you know in role playing? Uh, um, Rewards don't always have to come in treasure. And, you know, experience and building something or growing something really can give players a, you know, a, a sense of satisfaction uh, with with building your, your town or your city. Yeah, it's very true. I think, I think again, I sound like I, we bash a lot, but I think a lot of that is from that popular D20 system where rewards are magic items and treasure and you kill the monster and you take its stuff and it doesn't have to be that way you know expand what you consider rewards and what you consider um benefits to your players i I remember being in middle school and having you know, our group finally got our keep. You know, we spent all our loot to build ourselves a keep. And I think D&D at the time put out, even they put out a, a special splat book that was like the Castle Builder's Yeah, which is really or, cool. It's a good book. Oh, it's a great book. I have book. it. It's a great book if you want to build a keep and, and tweak the rules for Savage Worlds. It's and, really cool. You know, and so we're all there with our graph paper and we're drawing, you know, battlements and what secret passages. The problem is there just wasn't any mechanic in the game for that. And it sounds like with... What we're doing with our pirate setting and what Sean wants to do with Rifts and what Charles is trying to do 
um, with horror, uh, these kind of ideas, I think you could build an interesting mechanic where when you do sit down and build your maps and draw out your cities, your settlements, or your your, your headquarters, uh, you can also make those stats playable in the system. I mean, they have consequences. They, they, that character sheet, you can then you know roll and have combats and have conflicts and defend it and you know use it. I mean, you could use it as a you know if you build a if you're like a mafia family and you build your compound. You know, in the city, and that you can that that, that can have a political aspect of, of you influencing politicians, and you know, you, you it can be both a combat and social engineering entity. Um, and I, I, given that Savage Worlds is so rules efficient, um, you know, I think if you think of it as a character and go from there, I think you can actually create something that's actually pretty cool. So, and I'll tell you, uh, Charles, I don't remember the name of it, but Check out RPG now for Savage Worlds. It was for superheroes, but it was a, a splat book for I don't know what else to call it. But it was for superheroes. It was for building organizations, so like your evil organization and things like that. So that might be another place to go out and check that out and kind of pull from there and just convert it over to you know whatever setting you're using. Awesome. Well, I think we uh, aced that question. The uh, next one comes in from um, Paul Lawrence in the UK. We're international now, yes. guys. Woohoo! The um, Paul says, "I've been listening to both you and the Wild Die. Love those guys. Way go, way to go, Wild Die guys." The uh, for the past month since discovering you both, I have been playing Savage World since mid two thousand eight and running at UK cons. Awesome since twenty ten. I'm doing a. I'm going to continuum. 2014, although I assume he means 2016. Uh, this weekend, uh, attached a picture of some of my props from one of my games set in the UK during the 1980s, but an alternate 1980s in which Blondie are not a pop group, but a group of paranormal investigators. This is awesome. The system is Realms of Cthulhu. So we'll post those pictures up for you guys so you can guys check that out. Fox, you ran uh, the Scooby-Doo kind of game. I did run similar. a Scooby-Doo. Yep. The, uh, before we get to that, though, so um, so feedback first. Great show. Love it. Uh, we'll, well presented, crystal clear, and very knowledgeable guys. Um, as for questions, here's an oldie but a goodie, but one I still struggle with all the time. Reach one weapons. First strike and backing out of melee. Mix those up and it gets really confusing. So, for example, character with spear reach one. First strike is attacked by an enemy wild cards with an axe and first strike. Also, at some point during the combat, either one of them wishes to withdraw. You guys should be able to work out where I'm going here. Um, but I thought it would be good to hear from you. So, so let's talk about reach weapons one. Answered on the PEG forum, uh, Clint has clarified, reach one weapons do not extend the range of first strike. First strike means adjacent, not within attacking distance. Right. Someone has to move into melee with you. And first strike is defensive. It is not offensive. So it's not on your turn. It is something it's on that their turn. the person that you're doing when that enemy extra moves in adjacent with melee. So yeah, so, they, so if you're using minis, they got to be in one of the eight squares around you, or maybe in your square if they look out. But yeah, so the reach one weapon does not give you any advantages on being able to attack more people with first strike. Uh, it's the same as any other weapon. But on the converse, it actually does give you an advantage for withdrawing from combat. Because um, withdrawing is written as 
in melee combat with the you can if you have a reach one weapon you do not have to be adjacent to somebody so if you are the attacker you do not provoke their first strike and if you withdraw and you are not adjacent they don't get the free attack on you as you withdraw because you you know you maintain that distance so that means you've maintained that distance that's that's the crucial point yeah you've um, kept that five feet between you you and the guy with the axe yeah, and um, when someone's attacking with first strike, it doesn't help them at all. They don't get additional attacks. They don't get to go before you. Um, first strike is a responsive defensive edge. So it's, it's it's an interrupt, basically. Yeah, is what you're looking at. You're interrupting someone else's action. I hate first strike. I love. I take it because I never remember first. that my players have it, and I'll move an enemy in. First I've said this. Strike. I've said this before on the podcast, and and my players, ha ha! I've got first strike. I'm like, ha ha! Bite me, because <laughs> now you're going to kill my. Now you're going to kill my extra before I get to do anything. Yeah. So hopefully that clears it up for you, Paul. That the. Um, if you have any any more questions about it, or if for some reason we manage to confuse you even more, let us know, and uh, we'll clarify a little bit more next time we uh, read some emails. Yeah, and we'll definitely post um, along with our exclusive art from our pirate game. We'll throw up some shots of your blondie paranormal investigator game, which sounds absolutely wonderful. All right, so the last one is from Jason Baldwin. It says, good afternoon. I'm fairly new to Savage Worlds game. Welcome. Uh, Our group is playing Deadlands. Yay, Deadlands. And I love the system. Uh, I recently started a fantasy homebrew setting called Far Away, uh, which just pulls from Fey mythology. Uh, The player characters, uh, looks like his wife and kids. Cool. I love when people get their kids into role-playing get that next generation started you know you know five six years old get them going into role playing uh anyway uh they're all forms of fey or animal people similar to puka from changeling with traditional elves dwarves and gnomes uh in the setting humans have entered far away through portals and are the antagonists so his questions are one uh he's using uh rakashans Rakashan, maybe? Rakashans, however you say that. And what's that word? What's the one after Dragodians? Yeah, from Shintar. But are there other sources for animal-type archetypes, such as a bipedal turtle who uses karate? And wears bandanas. And wears a mask. And likes Renaissance art. And eats pizza. Yes. Or a mouse who mm. wears pants. And rabbits. Uh, hope you get the point. Um, this one's easy. Like, first, yeah. Savage Worlds. Pretty easy. Core. Savage Worlds. Make your own race. Go to page 22. So that's the first answer. Second answer is there are actually a lot of people who have put out resources. The A brand new book out, Thunderscape, the world of... Arden. Arden. Um, they've got a um, set of races in there called Ferens. Ferens. And you look these up. Yeah, so the, the actual the picture in the book uh, is a, a panda and it looks like a weasel type character. So I think the panda's from, like, World of Warcraft, but this panda's very, very skinny. Yeah, they don't fat shame the pandas. No, we, they do not. She's a very, very thin panda. Um, so, yeah, that yeah. would be one place to, to go read up about them, see how they do it. And they've got, like, there's two alternate, complete, like, racial stat, uh, racial suites for, they call them, like, brutes and sneaks. So you kind of have your choices. Um, and then there's three different bestial abilities. So you can mix and match um, with their little framework 
you know, between the two racial suites and the three bestial abilities. Um, you can kind of come up with some interesting combinations with those. Um, so that's a product you can pick up off the shelf. As always, the PEG forum is a very handy place to search for this. There's actually a thread, we'll throw up a link, called Savage Furry Races. <laughs> Damn furries. Damn furries. The uh, user Kodiaks wrote, uh, writes on there a pretty good um, brief template for a whole bunch of anthropomorphic um, animals. So he, he throws up buffalo, cattle, armadillos, canines, foxes, horses, felines, mustelids, pachyderms, raccoons, rodents, ungulates, bears, reptiles, turtles. So I think uh, he's, and on and on. he's got them covered. And those are, they're not super complete, but they're, they're, they're ideas on, you know, size modifiers, edges, hindrances, special attacks for those kind of anthro... Um, ideas. And I just thought of another one that we didn't put on here, but a brand new product just came out not too long ago. Look at the Dog Boys in Savage Rifts. Yeah. That would give you a good idea of how to create a race like this. So yeah, so you can go buck wild with that. And then, you know, uh, Jason also continues, where can I find a good source of minis for these archetypes? Well, I wouldn't recommend Googling Anthro. But if you put in Anthro 28 millimeter, so 2.8 mm or 2.5 mm, um, actually a bunch of different sites came up that I found. Jason, go go to Google and Google I love furries. Yeah, don't let the wife and kids see it. Doing okay, maybe it. not. Yeah, no, no. Not safe for work either. I mean, we thought furries were weird, but like just in the news this week, there was like a whole number of people got killed. I saw that. Like I saw murder that. Like hoboed for furry being murdered. A furry murder. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we knew about nuts. like furry sexual assault and furries at conventions causing damage. But now, but now they're killing each they, other. They've gone full murder hobo. They're feral furries. The furries have gone feral. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, if you want to read a little bit about that, uh, Go to uh, the Facebook page for a new podcast that I just started listening to called My Favorite Murder. It's interesting. It's a cool podcast, but they have a Facebook page, and that's where I saw the story, was on their Facebook page. So all the intrigue, none of the weirdness, uh, or less weirdness. Oh, their site's weird. Okay. The, um, so a couple of the ones, we'll throw, uh, throw these links up, but like Reaper Mini has a bunch of like, suitable anthros. If you go to their online store and search for where, just W-E-R-E, um, it'll pull up uh, several pages of suitable shark men and you know different animal types. Another one, if you, look, if you Google Critter Kingdoms from Dark Sword Miniatures, they've got a bunch of cute little fuzzy anthro-type miniatures. Fox found Ironclad Miniatures out of the UK. Uh, has a whole line. Cost you probably cost you a little bit more. Shipping's going to be a little bit more. But if you can't find them anywhere else, that you know, go to the UK. Yeah, and then third question is also uh, about minis. He says, for the Ripper's Accursed game for my adult group, where can I find setting appropriate minis? Victorian era, werewolves, vampires, etc. So the biggest one is uh, Victoria Miniatures. They're at victoriaminiatures.highwire.com. They've got a whole line of uh, steampunky Victorian era miniatures. Um, Wargamesfoundry.com has Victorian um, there's a game called Tannhauser, which kind of does um, between Victorian and the wars, uh, but they'll have like werewolves and steampunky stuff like that. Hero Clicks is always a really good place to find cheap miniatures. There's a um, 
There's an online website that the name escapes. There's me. a site that I Mini love market. for paper minis. If you don't want to paint them, if you don't want to worry about painting the minis and, and having, you know, the plastic or metal minis, just Google Paper Friends. Um, it is 7-wonders.co.uk. Uh, this guy has hundreds and hundreds, thousands even, of minis for every genre you can think of. Uh, I've basically gone and downloaded every mini that he has and what they're very similar to is if you back in the day goodman or uh who does who does uh gerps steve, steve jackson, jackson games. steve jackson games put out a product called cardboard minis and they still do it if yeah you, if and you go to their warehouse these are basically the same thing but you print them out yourself you can print them on cardstock they're great that's why i got all my scooby-doo minis nice I just got Scooby. He has Scooby Doo paper minis. He's got Doctor Who, Marvel, DC, Star Wars, uh, pulp, just fantasy, tons and tons of stuff, and free. You can spend just the money to print them and the paper and the, uh, have thousands of Yeah, minis. Warehouse 23 is their online. Right? It's 23? Yeah, Warehouse 23. And I've bought a I bunch think. of ancients through them. So yeah. that the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians. And we'll, uh, of course, we'll uh, in the show notes, we'll put all these links for, for Paper Friends and all of these. They'll all, they'll all go up in the show notes. Yeah, if you if our, any of our listeners have uh, their favorite Victorian horror anthro miniatures, definitely leave us a comment on the blog page. Hopefully that answers your question, Jason. And I think we had one more segment we were going to do, but I think let's, let's hold off on that. No, let's do it. Brett's here. Let's do all it. All right. So, new segment. I got a game to go run. Yeah, whatever. We're doing a podcast. The uh, We'll do the segment. It's uh, So, yeah. We, we figured we'd, we'd pull like the news you can use from the headlines. Uh, we'll call it Ripped from the Headlines. And the first segment of Ripped from the Headlines. Ripped from the Headlines. NASA to release recordings of unexplained music from the far side of the moon. So during the Apollo 10 launch in 1969, while the astronauts were in their capsule, out of touch with NASA's mission control, on the dark side of the moon, they heard weird sounds that were like reverberating through their capsule. They described it as whistling in the just declassified mission transcripts. So for the last 40 years, these have been classified and buried, but they've just been recovered. Hopefully we'll bring you the actual sounds so you can use them in your game. But the some of the transcripts have the guys talking back and forth with each other going like, you guys hear that? What's that whistling sound? It sounds like, you know, outer space type music. I'll tell you that music is really weird. No one will believe us. Now we got the expertise of Fox, Wang, and Landauer. What kind of plot hooks do you think we could like pull out of this? Just, you know, one, we, we download the sound, but we've got noise from space. So plot hooks, go. Well, I like the one that, that's on here that, that you mentioned for last Parsec. Yeah, Brian. First, uh, con- listener first contact. Br- Brian McCabe uh, came up with this one. Did he? Okay. So yeah, a first, first contact scenario. You're, you're tasked with making finding out more about this. What's causing this? Where is it coming from? Is it a dying world that needs, you know, the, the, the people on it need rescue? So many things that you could do with the last parsec with this. It just 
the amount of things is just, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I like this idea because I think you can bring a little production value to your game. You can play weird music. You can definitely incorporate it into the background while you're you're doing the, the scenario. It's a, it's a good MacGuffin that you can have be an evil MacGuffin or a good MacGuffin. Or you don't even have to decide. You can play the music and then listen to your character's wild uh, hallucinatory thoughts on what this could be. And as GMs, and listen to them and one. pick one. And say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and run with it. And that's so. going to make that player go, oh, I figured it out. Players love that when, when they, they think they, uh, they figured it out and you've basically just been listening and stealing their ideas Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Don't, don't tell. Yeah. Don't let them know we told you that that's how we do it. But so, Brett, well, you said you had an idea. Well, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about it, and you know, I, I take the historical aspect of some of these these things, and that was uh, Apollo Ten that they they heard that from, which was the one mission before we landed on the moon in Apollo Eleven, and we were in a mad race with the Russians at the time to to get to the moon. What if what if the Russians actually sent up a, a Robots, basically, to the to the dark side of the moon to kind of to take the moon as as their own. And in our follow up missions, uh, Apollo missions, where actually had other things that never were told to man. That we actually went up there to to destroy some of this stuff. And the the whistling that they heard were actually the the radio frequencies from the Russians trying to get to their killer robots or whatever you want to do. Or the Nazis have shown up on the dark side of the moon and it's strange Nazi space polka music. Oh, wait. That, that was already done in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Not the not this crazy space polka music, but... Yeah, and I think I'm somebody kidding. needs to explain history to you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, 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 what was the movie? The Nazis oh, on the dark God, side yes. of the moon? It was... Uh... I turned my phone off. Yeah, I can't so even think of it. Well, without Google, I don't know. Yeah, go, go Google uh, Nazis Dark Side of the Moon and uh, you'll yeah, like find that movie. Or Iron, uh, Iron Steel. Was it? Let Iron? us know. Yes, let us know on uh, Facebook or G Plus. I've seen the movie. They're ma- they've made like two or three more of them. I get emails about it all. Iron, uh, I don't. Iron remember. Sky. Yes, maybe it was Iron Sky. Something like that. The um, so for for a space bound game, obviously you can have the players hearing strange noises in their headsets. What is it? Um, for an Earthbound game, though, what's making the noise and what did the Apollo astronauts make contact with when, during the hour they went dark? Maybe the Apollo astronauts that come back aren't the same ones you sent. Um, maybe they inadvertently bring something back with them to Earth. I like that idea. The, uh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, it is called Iron Sky. That's the movie. Nice. Pulled that one out of yeah. the... Out of the Googles. The, the old Dumkoff. So, sorry. So, go back to your idea. I love that idea. They, like... A parasite, yeah, or and, something. You know, and, and when do you want to set your game? Do you want to set it in the six, late sixties when they come back, or have they been incubating on Earth for thirty, forty years? Or what if it's a transmitter from the dark side of the moon that's affecting people on Earth, and they've just now discovered this this transmitter, and now they've got to figure out how to to weed out the the people on Earth that are are being affected by this. Oh, yes. What what if it's like a baby monitor? Like another advanced (laughs) civilization set this up as, like, when the the humans first get off their little dinky little planet and, like, send us a message, right? Like a baby monitor. And so we just trip the monitor. And so who got the message? And now they're listening to everything and and learning by whatever, because whatever got brought back is transmitting to the aliens. Yeah. And now they've learned everything about us. And are they going to show up? Are they going to show up? Are they going to invade us? Yeah. That's... Or just be horrified. That's interesting. It's a cool idea. 
Yeah, so Brian also has a really cool one, like, um, could this tie back into strange sounds being heard from the sky throughout the world? Like, you know, there's like the, in um, the Albuquerque hum. Yes. Uh, the Taos yeah. hum. Yeah. Kind of, you know, and there's certain, certain places in the world where there's this kind of hum noise that people, they, they recognize, but they don't know what it is. And so, they, you, know, you know, could that be related? Is it an early warning system for an alien invasion or something else? Uh, Brian also mentions Revelation 110. So is that the the proverbial trumpet sound from the sky? That'd be cool, kind of bring in some biblical stuff in there. You've got this one. This has got some. Yeah, it's got it's got some really really cool ideas. I last parsec is any of what we came up with, you could fit into a last parsec game easy. Oh yeah, or like a space eighteen eighty nine game, which is a little more like Burroughs in space, Victorian. Um, you know, but I think but the Mars is definitely colonized. Is the Moon colonizing the Moon as well? Yeah, I mean, any kind of space game. And it doesn't even have to be a space game. It doesn't have to be the last parts. Like, it could be a modern game. And, you know, You now, could fit it into fantasy somehow. And aliens, right? Yeah. Oosh. So, we want to hear from all of you. Email us. What do you think the sounds from the dark side of the moon are? How would you put that into a game? Let us know on G+. Let us know on Facebook. Leave comments. Leave comments, and next time uh, we do a Rick from the Headlines, we'll throw your comments in there for this particular one, and then we'll talk about the next one. So we want to we want to hear from you. So any anything else on that that you can think of? No, it's good. I like that. You got any ideas? Any final ideas, Brett? No. Right. I, I want to play that. I, I, I want to get going. Like I mean, I know con. There, Chris, there you go. There's a con game for you. I, I, our con schedule is like booked for like the next like years because yeah. we're coming out with pirate games, this Genghis. Oh, hey, news for Genghis. So the venerable Ed Wetterman will be joining us for Genghis Con 2017, which will be coming up February... President's uh, Day weekend. President's Day weekend. In Aurora, like, Colorado. I think it's the 16th through the 19th. But it's, so yeah, if it's you want to come out to Colorado uh, in February, we have beautiful weather. Uh, Ed Weiderman will be here running games. We're going to be probably premiering some pirates, some of our pirates, awesomeness. pirate awesomeness. Not necessarily the book itself, but you know, using some of what we've come up with to to run some adventures uh, during Genghis. So it'll be a lot of fun. Maybe Brian will run some Last Parsec with uh, his idea about the sound from space. Yeah. So I think we I think we have we have uh, some good uh, stuff coming up for that. Yeah, and so yeah, and Ed Wooderman is our guest, so he's awesome. Remember him from stuff like Twelve to Midnight, ETU, ETU, yeah, Ed, Pine Ed, Box. Ed is Ed is kind of the brainchild, uh, one of the the creators of ETU and Pine Box, Texas. And so that would be awesome because that that incorporates with our local Sarah Martinez's ETU class of 2019, which is our ongoing ETU campaign. And uh, yeah, so the Rocky Mountain Savages, we've got a we've got a lot going on. Yeah, and then I think we're going to bump this up to episode 13 so it gets out soon and we'll move what was episode 13 to 14, which is an actual play from last Genghis Khan where I ran my Star Wars Game of Thrones crossover. And uh, so that will not be for children or the easily offended or anybody who... We may have to put the uh, explicit tag oh, on no, that Oh, no, the one. explicit tag is all... Not only the explicit tag, but the... You have to be an adult with six sense of humor who doesn't mind two of the greatest franchises ever being mercilessly, forcefully together in a hodgepodge of 
player versus player craziness. Um, I really liked it. I, it was fun to run. I've never really run PvP in my campaigns. And that one turned out nicely for what it did. Definitely made a couple mistakes. But it was fun. Like, like give, give it a listen. Uh, an, inter- an interesting thing happened in that game. So it was a PvP game, and it's kind of designed that way. Because you've got the Star Wars heroes who are no longer heroic. They're definitely dark complicated anti-hero types. Yeah, I listened as, to the game. Yes, they are. As you would find in Game of Thrones. With Game of Thrones, you've got the incest and the murder and the plots and the subterfuge. And I've never really done like sexual stuff in games either before, but this one, it's not serious. It's over the top. Like The very first scene is Luke and Leia going at it and Han finds out. You know, and the, the hilarity and violence ensues from there. So it's not taking it and seriously. And we've lost about... Half of our listeners are like, no, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Oh, it's awesome. An in, in, interesting part of that game. So, like, two-thirds of the way through, one of the characters makes a really interesting decision. And it's not what's Don't give too much away. Don't give too much away. But he, he, makes a, he makes a decision that could totally end the game. The way I handled it was, is like, hey, this is the in-theater ending. And then we're going to do the director's Blu-ray edition ending. So I got to play the last scene. It was interesting. I, I think I didn't make it as clear on the on the podcast or maybe even to the players at that point. But it was an interesting technique where it was like I wasn't expecting the game to go there then. Although I should have been prepared for this at any point because it was over the top. And, you know, when you give people spaceships, they can blow stuff up, right? So it, it was interesting. So give me some feedback on how you thought that game ran. Definitely don't complain about all the crazy over-the-top adult humor because... Yeah, if you don't want that, don't listen. Yeah, uh, skip that, move on to the next episode. Yeah, but if you enjoy raucous humor, dark humor, offensive humor, adult, offensive, raucous humor, um, definitely give it a listen. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny. The, the players all enjoyed it, and uh, we didn't get kicked out. But then again, you know, there are, there are sensitive people on the internet these days that basically trigger warning everything for that episode. All right, well, if we don't have anything else... Yeah, thanks Let's for say thank you all for listening. Thank you, for Brett, us, Brett, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Give, give sa- us feedback. We only have Cast. eleven feedbacks. On. Yeah, give us a rating. You can find us on Google Plus. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on SavageCast.com. SavageCast.com. So again, thanks a lot for listening and hail, hail savages. savages.